We're working on our confession series. Go to our social media, Bad Right Breast, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where we're asking confessions and want your response. All identities are kept confidential, of course. You can comment directly, DM me, or email me at badrightbreast at gmail.com, or you can leave your own message in your own voice on our call line at 646-494-4962. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Lori Brown Kindred, and this, well... This is Bad Right Breast. There's many different reasons why you choose your doctors. Sometimes it's because of your insurance. Sometimes it's because of their location. Sometimes it's a gut feeling. And sometimes personalities just don't match. In the end, it's your body and your choice. Here's a few of our artists sharing how they chose their doctors. I could have gone to Boston because we're a lot of people choose to go to or two hours from Boston. So a lot of people go to Dana-Farber and the big cancer institutes in Boston. I talked to a lot of people and they said that they felt like in the huge cancer centers, they were kind of cattle with a number. They didn't feel they were very personalized versus in Maine. It was a very personal experience. Even though I hadn't had a great initial experience with my surgeon, she's fine. She's somebody who I trust. She ended up supporting a a cancer project I was working on. I love, love, love my oncologist. I just really love her and her patient navigator. You know, the only real issue I had throughout the treatment, which I say was horrible, was when I got my port removed. So the two worst procedures I had were the initial biopsy and the port removal. And the port removal was done by a doctor I didn't know in an old antiquated hospital that's now closed. It was painful. I felt humiliated. I felt everything about getting my port removed was so bad that I talked to the vice president of the hospital and I did a painting on it. I stayed with GW because the experience and the people that I was coming into contact with, I had a wonderful plastic surgeon who I will still go back and see in September. That department is headed by a woman who had a bilateral mastectomy. She has cancer in her family. They were just on the verge of really going into a new building and getting all this funding and stuff like that. So I didn't get to experience it when I was going through it, but I saw the transition. They have a genetic department now and all that. I didn't get to experience it, but I could see them moving in that direction. Also, before I had my bilateral, after the BRCA2 diagnosis, I had to have my ovaries out. I had one out earlier because I had a tumor. So I had the ovary out in March. I had surgery, surgery, ovary out. My GP had privileges at two different hospitals. One, well, they're both very, very good. One had their own cancer center. The other one was a teaching hospital with a cancer center. And I said, I want to go with A. And she said, good. And I'm like, okay. 
She said, this is probably the surgeon you want, but check them out. Let me know. And I went with uh, Dr. as the surgeon. And as I said, our first meeting, she said, I can tell you're going to research, look at these different oncologists and let me know which one you want. And I went with uh, Dr. who was very cool. Then with the plastic surgeon, because it was reconstruction as opposed to cosmetic, your, your choices go way down. People don't realize that. I just kind of narrowed it down and I ended up picking Dr. Who knew that her best friend was Otis's wife? Yeah, I, I so lucked out with that. But she and I hit it off really quickly. She understood where my head was. In retrospect, I now know why. It, it was just that group. And the group I went through was very oriented in these are your this is your team this is who you're going to be dealing with these are your people here's your oncology nursing team da, 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 da. but they also had things like not yoga therapy at the time but they had art therapy if you wanted it they had a social worker you could talk to they had groups and so i really lucked out on that with the other hospital a lot of it would have been, here are all the medical students coming to check you out. I didn't want that. I'm a public, but I'm a very private person. I mean, we were clearly frustrated with our oncologist partway through, and we really tried to research other doctors. And she was just who was referred to us by the gastroenterologist. And the gastroenterologist was who was referred to me by my um, general practitioner, who's great. Trying to, I think in, in New York, at least, it's impossible to switch doctors like partially through chemo. Like we realize that they want you to finish your treatment and then see somebody. So there was really no way we could have kind of gotten a second opinion once we had the ball rolling. And we, I mean, doctor, I won't say their name, but had a great bedside manner. You know, I mean, it was hard to tell right away. There were times though that she wanted to kiki a little bit too much or wanted to like spill the tea with everybody in the chemo room instead of just help. So that was other times that it was good to have people like you there to just be like, can you stop talking about coloring books and um, <laughs> help us with a real problem? <laughs> she also had a good, I guess, doctor mentor that worked within her office that we felt more confident with. And whenever we heard her, you know, wibbly wobbly decision making, we would say, hey, can you bring him in? Yeah, didn't he walk by once and and overhear something and she was hemming and hawing about it and he came in and and made the right decision. And yeah, I yeah. still go to him and he has a 
he has a practice now with other people. It was a very small practice, a, a small office mm-hmm. on the Upper East Side. Which I did like. I like the quaint. I like the quaint atmosphere. Yeah, it was small because yours was at like a big hospital, right? Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, it was giant. Yeah, this was just a little like two-person operation. And, and I think there still might just be two people in it. It's just <laughs> a different other person. <laughs> I think it was, I found the eventual gynecologist because she took my insurance. It's been about insurance and it's been truly nightmarish and why America doesn't do single-payer healthcare. I, I certainly hope that happens in my lifetime because hopping around and, you know, it, anyway, it was the recommendation of that gynecologist who had done the original cystoscopy. She said, I want you to go to f- If it were me, I would go bring my relatives or anyone to him. He is a wonderful human being. I just saw him the other day. I'm five months out now from my last, I mean, five years out from my last treatment. So in November, I will be that marker. And he's still just as kind as could be to me. He's a, he kind of invented this particular laparoscopic robotic hysterectomy and endometrial cancer surgeries. It is something where if you, if you go on, if you go online too much, you can find everybody's legal background with whatever malpractice suits they might've had and this and that. And the, I just had to trust at a certain point in his manner and who he seemed to be. And then just how tricky it would seem that somebody who could, was interested in the complication of this particular find the cancer but don't hurt the kidney story and he he, it turns out he he does teach with my case now because it was pretty involved (laughs) for them he recommended a very nice guy at mount sinai who then of course went to sloan kettering which doesn't take my insurance i can't say that i have found my forever oncologist now but On the other hand, I also, I did do a second opinion. So I I went to Memorial Sloan Kettering after I had been given the recommendations about Mount Sinai. And they said, basically, this is the normal course. This is the standard of care um, for this cancer. So if something happens after this that you feel needs to be addressed, you could come to us, but we would just do this exact same thing. I tried to get into a study. I was recommended to look at uh, Roswell up in Buffalo. Is that correct? Was looked at for a immune system, you know, target teaching your can your your cells to recognize uh, the cancer. And I just didn't have the right profile at that time. But I would have done that. I do believe that anybody in any circumstance should look at the the trials that are available to them. I ended up not liking the oncologist that I had. And I ended up going to get a second opinion at the University of Iowa. And I had a female doctor there who I love, Dr. I went one more time to the oncologist in Cedar Rapids and he was like, well, you need to tell me who's driving the bus here. Am I driving the bus or is University of Iowa driving the bus? And it's like, is this a contest of like which doctors 
I mean, isn't, aren't I? And so when I told my, the oncologist in Iowa city, she said, Katie, you're driving the bus. You tell me what you want to do. And that was, I knew I made the right decision because that's what, I mean, obviously I'm not a doctor, but it is my body. So I need to make the decision on what I want to do with my body. And one of the big things that was the fight was over was because it was stage three, technically stage two, T4. So it was in the, they had gone through the lining of my, of my colon, but they didn't know how far just from pictures. It's not one of those things you can know how far it is until you take it out. They were telling me I needed two different kinds of chemo. Well, one of the kinds of chemo, you, there's like a 60 to 70% chance of not feeling your hands, your fingers and your toes forever. Because of my autoimmune body, I just was like, I know I'll be that person. I play bass. I make jewelry. Like I want to feel my kid's hair. I, I want, you know, I don't, I don't want that. And the thing was, is it was a, to do that extra chemo was a 1% more chance of living in five years. And I'm like, hmm, 60% chance of not feeling anything for a 1% more chance of being alive. Like, I don't want to do that. And I really went to therapy for a long time and like hem and hawed, like, should I do it? Should I not do it? Cause I didn't want to like, if the cancer came back or something, it was because I didn't do this extra chemo. I didn't do it. I did the, the one chemo, which was more than enough. I don't think my body could have handled two, to be honest. It was interesting because with Hodgkin's lymphoma, it was kind of a, a weird fit. The first oncologist that they sent me to, <laughs> I refer to him as Dr. Dingleberry. I just, we did not click at all. And actually he had to do a bone biopsy to make sure that it hadn't gone into my bones. And so he did that in the office and it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced. I, I literally saw stars. I thought it was going to pass out. That just opened my eyes to, oh my God, what is this journey going to be if, you know, leading up to it is this painful. But I had a sense he was not, because he was, he was saying, oh, you need 12 rounds of chemo to get through this. And so I thought, well, that seems like an awful lot. So then I went to see another woman oncologist, female oncologist, and but she specialized in breast cancer. And she said, I can treat you, but I will have to look at the data and see you know, what the protocol is for your type of cancer. And she was really, really lovely. In fact, I was needle phobic when I started. And so when I was having blood taken, she actually sang to me, which was very cute. So I, my dad is a doctor. So he started calling some friends of his and colleagues of his. And so he ended up talking to someone at UK. They said, you know, there's a doctor in Pennsylvania who literally wrote the book and he's at Penn. So uh, a friend of mine knew of him. So she called his office. She was also working at Penn. So she thought maybe she could get me in because he wasn't taking new patients. When I came down to Penn, went into Perlman, met Dr. I just knew this was the right, this was the right fit. And he had such a sense of authority. He just, he was like, this is what we do for this type of cancer. I was so, so lucky because really it does come down to context, just like, just like show business. It comes down to contacts who you can get access to. Doing the best I could to research online. It's so much easier to do that now as opposed to back then. 
that makes it sound like I was driving a horse and buggy. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> the strides in the internet <laughs> have come a long way in 17 years. <laughs> I just started doing as much research as I could, looking at reviews. At the end of the day, I just had to choose a doctor who is in my network. And I asked for recommendations from my general practitioner. I asked for a recommendation for a specialist for um, head and throat. From that person, I asked for a recommendation for an endocrinologist who would be maintaining my health after I had gone through treatment. So I relied on those referrals and then did my own research and then just had to trust my decision because it's scary to make that decision. I think it would be scarier if I was in a different situation with a different type of cancer. And I have several friends who've been in that situation. And just like most things, word of mouth, a referral from other individuals, I think is really powerful because if you know a friend who had a good experience and they recommend their oncologist or their surgeon, I would go with that. Unfortunately, at that time, I didn't have anyone who knew anyone. And so I just had to trust how I felt with the person. Do I get a good vibe? It's okay for me to ask questions. It's okay if I don't understand things. It's okay for me to push back. These are all things that I had to learn very early. It's easy for everyone to assume the doctor will know everything or that you're going to feel uncomfortable and you can't ask questions. That's really important. I would say ultimately, I just had to make a decision because I needed to have the surgery and I just trust how I felt around the doctor. If my body was like, I am uncomfortable, then I listen to it. Special thanks to Aaron, Sarah, Laura, Becca, Joanna, Katie, Rebecca, and Brianna for sharing their stories. Bad Right Breast is produced by me, Lori Brown Kindred. Music is by the one and only Becca Ayers. Graphic art is by the ever-suave Justin West. Website is by the incredible Alec Adelia. Links to all of their work can be found on the website. Special thanks to Buzzsprout. Please share this podcast with anyone and everyone you know that has been affected by cancer. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Bad Right Breast. But most importantly, we want to hear from you. Please call us with your story at 646-494-4962. Once again, that's 646-494-4962. Or email us at badrightbreast at gmail.com. And let us know if you want your story to be kept anonymous or use a pseudonym. Until next time, listen to your body and take care of yourself.